starting here. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. I'm not Bob, and there'll be no hair jokes tonight. So just want to let you know right up front. Okay, so we'll be free of those today. But Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. If you've got your Bibles, open them with me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training of the Lord. Now, I guess if, how many of you can remember being a kid, about three years old? And what do adults typically ask you as a three-year-old? They ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think it's kind of a silly question because most three-year-olds have no idea what they want to be when, they're three, when, when they grow up. I mean, honestly, most adults don't know what they want to be when they grow up. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. But if you remember, as, at least me as a little boy, I mean, what do you think is a typical response for a little boy who's three years old? What do you want to be? You want to be a policeman or a... Fireman, that's right, that's right. Well, because why do you want to be a policeman or a fireman? Because it's cool. Now, I happen to have had the opportunity to grow up with a dad who was a fireman. I mean, that was pretty cool. But if you think about it for a moment, being a fireman or policeman is more about what you want to do, not who you want to be. Ephesians is talking, right now we're in chapter 6, and Ephesians is talking about who do you want to become when you grow up? And, you know, God has a lot to say about that. And he's going to give us three, uh, three commands today, actually. We're going to talk about children obey, parents train, everyone honors. Now, when, when, when you come to a passage like this and you're talking about command verbs, I have to be kind of careful. I just need to let you know that because I know that these are command verbs. And there's a possibility that when I talk about what God's word says, it's going to be abrasive. There's going to be a pushback. It might be a bit offensive. As a matter of fact, let me show you what I mean. Let me, by a show of hands, how many people here, young people are there here tonight, that are still living with their parents? Give me a show of hands. I kind of want to know where, they, where the tomatoes are going to come flying from. Okay, we got a few here. Had more last night. Okay. <clears throat> how many people here have kids that are still living with you? Raise your hands. Okay, if you have kids over 35, you know, that, that doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, and then how many people here have parents? Okay, that's a trick question. Okay, so everyone's got, you know what, I, I'm in trouble because in the reality is there is a possibility that I'm going to be a bit abrasive to almost everyone in the room. So I just apologize now, but not really because I'm excited because God says, if you do these things, God says you're going to become somebody different. And that's what we want to talk about today. We're going to be doing, looking at doing a couple of things and then becoming different kinds of people. And it starts with the children. Command number one, Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I want to take this verse apart, and I want to give uh, definitions to each of the words, and then I'm going to put the definitions end to end to end, and come up with a kind of a new way of stating this verse, okay? So the word children comes from the Greek word technion, which means kind of a middle schooler or uh, on down. For the teenagers here, if you think you're out of the, this counts you out, don't count out too fast. Technion can also be a term of endearment for a teacher when they're talking about the students that they are mentoring. 
So if you live at home and you're being mentored as a teenager or you're being parented as a child, you qualify, okay? The word obey here means to follow the directives of those over you. Now, of the three commands that are here, there's only one out clause, and that's in the Lord, and the kids get it. So here's the thing. When it says in the Lord, what Paul is trying to talk about here is that if your parents are asking you to do things that are wrong or illegal, you can hit pause, and on all seriousness, I want you to tell a trusted adult, grandparent, aunt or uncle, someone here at church, at Gateway, about it, you can kind of hit a pause button. Okay, but let me just tell you this. Doing the dishes, taking the garbage out, and cleaning your room, last I looked, are not illegal. So they don't qualify. The phrase for this is right is a judicial term. It actually has the, uh, uh, the thought of a judge looking over a situation of what's going on and saying and adjudicating that this is a right thing and that not obeying is an act of injustice. Colossians 3.20 puts it this way, and it's in your notes. It says, uh, Paul talks, uh, uses almost the exact same words. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I want to take a quick pause right here, and I want to stop, and I want to take a look at the word just for just a moment. When you're taking a look at the Bible, and you're overseeing it, and you're taking a look at it kind of from the 30,000-foot level, when you see the word just... I want you to also put beside it that the fruit or natural outcome of just actions is that chaos goes down and order and harmony goes up. It happens all the time. You can't force it to happen. If you abide by God's laws, chaos goes down, harmony goes up. With that in mind, if you read some of the Old Testament stories, they'll realize sometimes the implementation process of just actions takes time and is difficult. And sometimes the fruit is not immediate. But it is there, and it's important for us to know as parents because sometimes helping our children act in just ways does not always decrease chaos and increase order and harmony, but it does come eventually. Well, maybe, okay. um, But let me ask you this. Let's go back and put all those uh, definitions end to end, and here's what we come up with. Let me read this verse again, but with, the, with all the definitions. Small children or young people under the care of a parent, teacher or mentor, follow the directives of those over you as God would instruct, because submission is just and pleasing to the Lord and brings about a decrease of chaos and increases the level of order and harmony in your homes. Let me read it one more time. Small children or young people under the care of a parent, teacher or mentor, follow the directives of those over you as God would instruct because this submission is just and pleasing to the Lord and brings about a decrease of chaos and raises the level of order and harmony in your homes. Now, I can just hear some of the teenagers especially, maybe young people saying, oh, that's just great. Oh, I'm just so thrilled I came today. I'm being told to obey. Basically, my parents win and I lose. Can I also tell you this? This is not a win-lose situation. This is not a... um, uh, the, the parents were one up on you and, and you're down. This is actually a win-win situation because, let me put it this way, why should I obey my parents? That's the question that teenagers ask. That's what young people ask all the time. Why? Why should I obey? And I always talk to my kids like this. I said, because obedience is the bedrock foundation upon which you are going to build a solid relationship with God. <clears throat> let me put it this way. Some, a little pause button here. God will never expect something of you 
that he does not first expect first and foremost of himself. Okay, look throughout all the Bible. He will never expect more of you than expects him. It's always kind of a rip if you've got to obey something or got to do something that God doesn't have to follow himself. You say, well, does God obey himself? Well, actually, he does because, you know, God the Son obeys God the Father. End of story. Let me show you this. If you want some great reading, go home this afternoon, take two to three hours out of your day, and read the first four books of the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And count how many verses that Jesus says something just like this. John 12, 49. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say what to say and how to say it. John 14, 31 says this. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. If you were to count the number of times that Jesus says that in those four books and you get to 43, you've found them all. Um, And it's because that Jesus is obeying the Father every day. So here's the deal. God tells, through Paul, children to obey your parents. And you know what? You've got to do it for about 18 to 20 years. But you know how long Jesus is obeying his Father? For all eternity. For all eternity. And you know what? Here's the thing. Bottom line is this. If you don't, if you're bucking your parents, if you're just fighting with them all the time, can I just say this? You have less in common with Jesus than if you obey them. And if you obey your parents, you and Jesus have a common, you have a, a common situation that you can relate to with one another. You will become somebody different. And that's the whole point. If you do this, you become like Jesus. My wife and I have five kids. Elisa, Noah, Grace, Mary, and Levi. They're ages 20, 15, 13, 11, and 9. Can I just say that Leanne and I are in full-time parenting mode 24-7. I don't have this thing down. I'm flying by the seat of my pants every day. And I've often said that parenting is about 50% math and 50% art. God is really great about giving us kind of the, the general principles, but the application process, it's kind of skinny a little bit, and you've got to kind of make it up a little bit along the way. I remember back in 1989 when we, uh, my, I don't know, how many of you remember when, the, when you got news your first child was coming? Do you ever remember that? Okay, how'd you feel? Ter- terrified. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. I, I remember. I was, ah, terrified. I was, ah, you know, and, um, and uh, Leanne, I still remember the phone call. I was at the bank downtown, and uh, boy, I was just, I was kind of a deer in the headlights for about five minutes. And, you know, I was thinking, what am I going to teach this new person that's coming into my home? What do I want them to leave with? And, and, and can I do it? And I remember that after a lot of prayer and, and, and thinking about it, we came up with our family with what we call the three rules. And here they are. The three rules are simply this. If my kids left the home, and, they, and we, we, we talk about this all the time, we want them to love God with all their heart, all their life. I am not interested in raising children to age 18, go off to college, and, and lose their faith. I want them to go to U of O and transform U of O into a place of worship. Okay, That's my goal. Number two is I want them to obey mama first time and fast. How soon did we implement that? The day they came home from the hospital. Okay, number three. Be a bl- Are the moms okay with this one? Yeah, okay, I hear an amen from the moms. Okay, be a blessing to a lot of people. It's just three rules. It's pretty simple. We don't make it more complicated than that. And as parenting has played itself out since 1989, I can tell you that my kids have bucked at number two the most. 
the most. I mean, of all three, obeying mama has been the hardest one to implement. And about every day, day and a half, I have to come down and reassert the boundaries and make sure that my kids know that obeying mama is not a multiple choice question. Matter of fact, it's not a question at all. You just do it. And they always come back with why. Why should I obey mama first time and fast? <clears throat> and here's what, I, here's what I come down and say to them. If you do not obey your mother first time and fast as a young person, you will most likely not obey God first time and fast when you grow up. And when you don't obey as a child or a young person, the consequences may seem big at the time, but really, trust me, they're not. But when you get to be an adult and you don't obey God first time and fast, the consequences can be huge. Not only that, but the consequences can affect your family and those around you and those that you love. And we don't want that to happen to you as an adult, so we start right now by helping you obey mama first time and fast. Yeah, I have had that conversation dozens of times, and my kids have not bucked me when I help them envision their future by showing what they're doing today. And, and, um, so for the, but for the teenagers here, what does obeying your parents look like? Take a look at this video clip from the movie Facing the Giants and see if something that we've talked about makes some sense. Coach? Proud of you, Matt. I need to talk with my dad. I'd like to go see him. I'll take you right now. So what we've done here is we've gained these four lots by moving the retention pond down here. We could try and do that through here if you want. No, I like this. That's perfect. Mr. President, someone here to see you? Sarah, I'm in a meeting. It's your son. Would you like me to step out? No, it's okay. Sarah, send him in. Matt, you okay? I'm sorry, Dad. I didn't know you were in a meeting. What is it, son? Uh, Dad, I just wanted to say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I've been acting. I got right with God today, and I just needed to say that from, from now on, I respect your authority. Whatever you say goes. That's it. You know, I could come back tomorrow if that would be better for you. No, it's okay. I'm sorry. I, uh... For what it's worth, I'd give my right arm to hear my son say that to me. choking up a little bit. Obedience is not a win-lose situation. It's a win-win for all involved, for God, the parents, and the, and the children. But number two comes about, and it says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is number two. Now, kids, okay, I told you I talked to the dads here, so here we go. Okay, first thing I notice here in this verse, it does not say mothers do not exasperate your children, okay? 
It also does not say parents do not exasperate your children. It says fathers. And I've often asked why. Is Paul sexist here? I would say not. I think God's a realist. I think he knows in the big scheme of things, if there's one parent or the other who has the propensity to be more exasperating, it's the dads. And God speaking through Paul goes right to the source of trouble. Okay? Second thing I notice here is the word exasperate. Great word, but I needed to know what it meant, so I looked it up. It comes from a Greek word meaning to arouse violence, wrath, or anger. It also has it within the idea of blindsiding someone with unreasonable demands or unexpected emotions so that their natural reaction is to move into a fight or flight mode. In your notes, Colossians has it again. Paul is good about um, talking about this. In Colossians 3.21, it says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. A third item I notice here is that God says not to act exasperated. He does not say it's illegal to feel exasperated. So if you're a parent and you feel exasperated, he's not saying that. He says, don't act exasperated with your kids. So let me reread this uh, verse and let me put it, the meanings end to end. And here's what we come up with. Fathers, do not embitter or arouse wrath or anger in your children by unexpectedly blindsiding them with unreasonable demands or unexpected emotion that would naturally cause them to move into a fight or flight mode or to become discouraged. Dad, let me read that one more time because I got five kids, so I, I, I need this probably more than anyone here. Fathers, do not embitter or arouse wrath or anger in your children by unexpectedly blindsiding them with unreasonable demands or unexpected emotion that would naturally cause them to move into a fight or flight mode or to become discouraged. And why would God expect fathers to not be exasperating toward their kids? And here's what I came up with, because God never acts exasperated with his kids. Not once. Not once. In the worship time we had this morning, uh, the worship team talked about how the, that God is like clay. He molds us. And if it doesn't turn out right, he doesn't throw it away. He takes it back and he, he molds it, puts more water on. He's going to try it again. That's how God acts with us. He says, I want you to do the exact same thing with your children. I don't want you to get angry with them. I want you to train them. But, you know, not getting angry is not new information. John, uh, James 1.19 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, this is the art part of parenting. Been doing it now for about 20 years, sometimes successful, sometimes not. And I want to just give some, um, just some tips. As a dad, how do you not be exasperated with your kids? I've got five tips. Number one, get enough sleep. Tired kids and tired parents are a bad combination. Remember that kids need the most sleep between ages 0 to 5 and 13 to 18. That's when they're growing the fastest. Sometimes your best defense as a parent is a great night's sleep, either for you and or the child. Number two, choose your battles carefully. Through trial and error on my own part, I have learned that my, my battles with my kids kind of come in three, three different camps. There's the, the moral absolutes, there's the common sense battles, and then there's the personal preference battles, okay? If you're a parent and you're talking about right or wrong, about, about sin, you have to win, okay? There, there's no argument here. You have to win. On the common sense battles, you know, I can give a little, but you got to be sensible, but I can give a little here. On the personal preference stuff, let it go. Don't win. Don't feel like you got to win every single battle. Number three, 
Be consistent with your boundaries. If you keep your boundaries simple and consistent, guess what? The older ones can teach the younger ones the rules of the house. This is kind of cool. Elisa <clears throat> taught Grace, uh, Noah, Grace, and Mary the rules of the house. Grace and Mary taught Levi the rules of the house. Levi, well, he gets to teach the dog the rules, and unfortunately, he's the youngest. It's a bummer, but, but that's it. If you keep the, uh, keep the boundaries simple and consistent, it makes it, it go better. Number four, give lots of hugs, kisses, and words of affirmation. Words like, I love you, I like you, I'm proud of you. Look for every opportunity to praise your kids. Hugs and kisses are for everyone, every day, boys and girls, little ones, middle ones, and teenagers. Noah and I give each other hugs and kisses every day, and I am proud that he still likes to do that for me. It's wonderful. We connect every single day. Tip number five, keep the end in mind. I can remember Lisa coming home just yesterday, it seemed like, and she's 20 now, and she's almost gone. Can I just say, keep the end in mind. They will soon be gone. Don't get too ruffled up about the little stuff. But if I can take just a moment, I, I want to take just a moment now, and I want to talk to those parents who have strong-willed teenagers. Because, and I have permission to say this, and Lisa would tell you this, Elisa is more strong-willed than my next four children combined, okay? So these three rules come from the parenting that has come from Lisa and I, of how not to be exasperated or exasperate her as a teenager. Number one is, ask your teenager, how do you feel about that? Did you know that the last part of the brain to fully develop is the side that that, uh, processes logic and reasoning? And that typically doesn't happen until ages 18 to 22, so until then, when you have something to talk with your um, teenager about, don't go at them and say, what were you thinking? And then you'll always get the typical response, I don't know, Dad, just leave me alone. And, and you know, if they say that, they probably are being more correct than you know because they don't know what they were thinking. On the other hand, ask them, wow, what were you feeling at the time? Oh, my goodness, you will get a just watershed of dialogue because they know what they were feeling. Not quite sure what they were thinking, but the feeling part is all over, okay? It's all over the place. Number two, ask that and what else three times. With Elisa, there was typically the public relations answer, the you're getting warmer answer, and then pay dirt. And it was always three layers deep at a minimum, and she never gave you the answer right up front, okay? That was just the standard procedure. So I always started to ask that and what else. So if you say, I'm so mad, and I said, wow, wow. Why? Why? How do you feel? Oh, I just feel angry. Oh, okay. Um, what else are you mad about? Well, I, I, uh, I lost a couple of friends this past week at school. Well, how'd you feel about that? Oh, well, the one friend I didn't mind losing, and the other one, though, I, I kind of you know, miss a lot, actually. Oh, what else are you upset about? Well, you kind of haven't been around a little bit lately, and I was kind of wondering if maybe we could go on a date. And I'd say, okay, and I'd go on a date, and it would be unbelievable if I gave her what she needed most, which was just my undivided time and attention. All those other things that we could have thought about disappeared. It bordered on bizarre at times, how it would just float away. I mean, it just, there weren't even problems anymore. Just some tips about how not to be exasperated. But in the meantime, and, and now she's 20 years old, and we still have a good relationship, and we're still talking to each other. And it's like, wow, this is, this is good. Okay, But if we're not to be exasperated, what does God tell us to put in its place? It says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
And the thing is, what does training and instruction of the Lord look like? Ephesians doesn't tell us, but Deuteronomy does. And I love, I love the, oh, sorry, didn't put that up there. Okay, now you see it, now you don't. Okay, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. I love this verse because it helps me as a parent. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What does Deuteronomy tell us when it says about training our kids? It means talk about God with your kids all the time. All the time. When they get up, when they're down, when you go in, when you go out, talk about God all the time. How does that play itself out? Well, in our family, when I grew up, my, we had family devotions every morning from 7 to 7, 10 in the morning. And we used the daily bread. It's right out there in the lobby if you wanted to get one yourself. It's simple. It's easy. You've got a little thought for the day, a verse for the day, a poem, and it takes 10 minutes. And we would always say, like, sing a hymn, do the daily bread, close in prayer, eat breakfast, do dishes, and go to school. It was, that was that simple. But it gave us something to talk about all the time. As we've been parents, we started reading Bible stories after dinner. This was the Bible story book that we use for our kids when they're small. A lot of big, lot of big pictures. The words are big, that kind of thing. And we've worn out about three or four. This one's actually falling apart, too. This is, I think, our third one that we were on. But then our kids grew up a little bigger, and this is the one we're on now. It's got, you can't see it, but it's got strapping tape on the outside. This is our second one that we're on. And we just do a story a night. And we have a short discussion. It takes 10 minutes. And then we jump up, do dishes, and we're done with dinner. And that's how we kind of help the stories to always be a part of, of our family. Now, there's always a pushback I get here, and it's common. It says, you know what, Mike, that's, that's nice. That, that's great. But you know what, I don't know how to teach my kids. I didn't go to Bible school. I don't know what to say. And you know what? I didn't go to Bible school either. I haven't been to one class in Bible. I went to U of O. And I can tell you this much. U of O is not big on the Bible. Okay? I'm just telling you. They're not. You know, you're not going to go there for a Bible degree. <clears throat> I'm just a dad. I'm just a dad. I learn a little bit every day. And the thing is that my kids will often ask me questions that I don't know the answer to. And you know what? I tell them. I always say this. I'll get back to you on that. And you know what? It, it works out great. Kids love to ask questions of parents that they don't know the answer to. Go ask a small group leader, someone here at Gateway. Look it up on the internet. There's a lot of great, and then go back to your child or, or young person and give them the answer. It's great. They'll never look down on you for it. And quite frankly, they want you to teach them the Bible, not someone here at Gateway. But, but if you don't feel adequate, why else would you want to teach the Bible to your kids? Why would you want to be spending your time training and instructing? Because God is always in the business of training and instructing his kids all the time. That's what he's doing. He's not exasperated with us. He's training us all the time, all the time. And so when you as a parent are engaged in the activity of training your children, you know what? You and God are on the same wavelength. You're doing the same things, and when you do it, you become someone different. You become more like God. But there's a third thing that we want to talk about, and here's the part that kind of I need to be really careful. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Before we even hardly look at that verse, I've got to, we've, we've got to be careful here because Paul is assuming that you know something. He's speaking in code here a little bit. 
And what is he talking about? He is going back to Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. He assumes that you know verse 12. It's the Ten Commandments. And I put four on the left side and six on the right side. Can you guess why? The first four of the Ten Commandments talk about how to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The next six are all about how to love your neighbor as yourself. And those are the two greatest commandments in the Bible. And who is the first neighbor that God wants you to take care of? Your parents. He wants you to honor them. And it's the only commandment that comes with the smiley face sticker if you obey it. Okay? What is that smiley face sticker? The children of Israel have only been out of Egypt for about two, two months. They're brand new with being free. They're at the Mount Sinai. They're given the Ten Commandments. In about two months, they're going into the Promised Land. Okay? For the first time. Hopefully, they didn't. But they're going to be there in about two months. And God says this. You can obey them all, but here's the number five. Let me tell you this. If you honor your mom and dad, you get to stay in the promised land. If you don't obey number five and you don't obey your, uh, honor your mother and father, then all bets are off and everyone's out of the pool. I guarantee it. <clears throat> it is that important. So back to, um, so back to uh, Ephesians. Paul says to honor. This word means to, highly va- to value highly or to respect greatly. In addition, it comes in a command form. And there is no passage in all the Bible that says, honor your mother and father if. In every case where the address is made, it's always under the assumption of do, no questions asked. But where does it start? If you're having trouble, maybe this is a pushback of honoring your parents. Where will it start? It will start in your heart. I love this verse, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If I were to ask you to make a list of the things about your parents that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, how long would your list be? How long would it be? For some of you here, that list is actually pretty long because you've got great parents that are godly, that have been a great example to you. There are others probably here in this audience whom the list is a bit shorter, but the list is there. It's just a bit truncated a little bit. There are some things on there. There's also some things missing, though. And here's why i got to be careful, because I know that there are some people here for whom the list, even thinking of making a list, brings back nothing but tears and pain. i got to be careful. But I want to take it one step farther. How about if you made the list for your in-laws? Okay, What about the parents or in-laws that have passed on? Are you honoring of them? This passage does not seem to suggest that you honor your parents only if they're living. It would seem to suggest it's all the time, whether they're here or gone. Do you honor your parents? Do you honor your in-laws, your step-parents? How are you doing? So here's where we come to the why part. Why would God want us to honor our parents? And I think it's because honoring is what the triune God is acting out all the time. God the Son is constantly bringing honor to God the Father. God the, Ho- uh, God the Holy Spirit is constantly pushing you to honor God the Son. God the Father is constantly giving power to God the Spirit to, to, uh, to uh, honor God the Son. And if you were to kind of take a look at how does the triune God work, honoring is kind of a foundational activity that goes on every day. If you want to reflect the mind and character of God, honoring is going to have to make your list. 
The second reason, though, I think that God wants us to honor our parents is because God honors his kids every day. I love Romans 5a. It says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Dying for us while we are still sinners, that is placing a lot of value on us. And God does it every day for his kids. And now he's telling us, I want you to take some of that value that I place on you, that honor that I placed through, given to you, and I want you to turn around and I want you to give it away, part of it. I want you to give it away to your parents, your in-laws, those living and those passed on. And when you do this activity of honoring, you may not feel like it, but when you do it, you will become more like me. And that's the point, to be more like God. So now the question comes, how are you doing? On a scale of 1 to 10, if you were to kind of, kind of chart yourself out, how are you doing? 1 being non-existent or 10 being great, where would you be? I want to end today by just telling a quick story. You know, um, my dad grew up in an um, Irish Catholic home. And if you know anything about Irish Catholic people, they're not known for being soft-spoken. Um, and uh, Grandma and Grandpa Collins' was, uh, home was uh, a lot of fighting, a lot of words, uh, tense words going back and forth. And um, uh, Grandma and Grandpa fought with each other. Grandpa yelled at my dad and his, his only sister. And uh, my dad doesn't like to talk about it a lot, quite frankly, uh, because, quite frankly, it's probably a pretty tough way to grow up. But I remember that uh, when I was in the fourth grade that uh, Grandpa Collins was getting ready to retire. And he had a pension. He had bought himself a new Cadillac. He had a gold watch. He had gotten himself a new Lazy Boy recliner and a Magnavox TV. I mean, this guy was set. He was so excited to retire. But then, you know, something weird happened. One month after, one month after he retired, he got a stroke. He had a massive stroke. And he was paralyzed on the left side of his body. And overnight, he became kind of a prisoner in his own Lazy Boy chair. So now he's spending the next five years at home with, with Grandma. Strokes do nasty things to you. And, you know, sometimes they paralyze you. And sometimes, though, they inhibit your ability to control your emotions and your temper. Um, and so if you were a person who controlled your, your temper before a stroke, after a stroke, you might just let her fly for any or no reason at all. And Grandpa was no exception. And, um, and it was tough. It was tough on Grandma. But, you know, my dad and Mom took us to go see Grandma and Grandpa a lot, to visit Grandpa and to comfort Grandma. But after about five years, it became, you know, five years of lifting a man much bigger than her. It just, it just wore down on her back and her physical strength. She just couldn't do it anymore. And I also think the verbal abuse was really wearing her down. And, and I remember that, that we came to a time where we had to put Grandpa Collins into a nursing home. Well, that nursing home happened to be a mile from our house in southeast Portland. And so it made it convenient that after church, every Sunday, we could go visit Grandpa. Um, and we did. And the first couple times that we went to visit Grandpa uh, were not pretty, let's just say that, because he was not happy about taking him from his house and putting him in a skilled nursing environment. And he was mad about that. So he'd come in the room, and he would just kind of let it fly. And, um, but my dad came up with an idea. He said, I tell you what, I tell you what, I know that he likes pie. Next time we go, let's, let's take a piece of pie, and let's just see if that helps. <coughs> so, the, so the next Sunday, Mom made a uh, banana cream pie. She cut out a big slice, put it on a paper plate, and put a, uh, a plastic fork in, and we walked off, to, uh, walked off to see Grandpa. We walked in the room, and Grandpa's face got tight, and you could just feel the words were ready to rip. 
And all of a sudden, he caught sight of the pie. He said, pie? You brought me a pie? All of a sudden, he was looking up and around, and, and all of a sudden, his face softened up, and all of a sudden, it was the grandpa that you kind of always wanted to see. And it was awesome. We'd go around the side of the bed, and he started to eat, and he was just, he was a happy guy. But, you know, like strokes, memory's pretty short. And when the pie was gone and the peace offering had been forgotten, the old guy came back. And that's when my dad would often say, okay, dad, got to go. And then we would back out and we would head out kind of as the piece of pie was gone. We'd keep this up for about a year. Every Sunday we would go with a piece of pie or a piece of cake or something of that nature. And, and it, it worked out. But then the end came. And the nurses were kind of panicked a little bit because they, you know, they, they called uh, my grandmother and there was no, there was no answer. Um, they wanted to tell her that you needed to come quick because grandpa probably wasn't going to live, live out the day or maybe a couple of days. But they couldn't find her because grandma was in Seattle. Kind of the years of fighting and verbal abuse that had gone on had kind of caught up with her. She was on a nervous breakdown. She decided to go to Seattle to wait out the news that grandpa was gone. And why Seattle? Because that's where my dad's sister and her husband lived. And they decided to stay in Seattle as well until grandpa was gone. So who's going to be left but my dad? He's the only guy left around to come. And so the nurses call him. And he says, I'll be right there. And I turned around and I looked and my mom was cutting up. Uh, a piece of chocolate cake. And I asked my dad, I said, can I, can I go with you? And he said, no, son, this is going to be a time for just your mom and I. Just your mom and I. So I said, okay. So when they came back a couple hours later, I asked him, so I had to go. And he said, it went good. It went good. As long as the pie was there, he was good. But when the pie was gone, it was, it was time to go. And later on, that, later on that day, Grandpa did pass away. And, you know, I am so proud of my dad for the tenacity to find a way to honor his dad when... No one else would or could. So here's my encouragement to you. Honoring is the command verb. Cake is the art form. How are you going to honor your parents today? Okay? To the young people that are here, obeying your parents is the command. Cake is the art form. How are you going to obey your, your parents in a way that's, that's honoring? And then to the fathers and to the parents here today, don't exasperate, but training is the command. Cake is the art form. How are you going to do it today? How are you going to do it this week? You may say, oh, I just don't know how. And you know what? I can tell you, ask God. He does it every day. He's in the obedience business. He, he's in the honoring business, and he's training millions of his kids every day. And he's not exasperated with any of us. Ask him for help. He wants to help. He will help. He's excited if you ask. And that's my encouragement to you today. Ask God for help. You know, it's typical that the person giving the message wouldn't close in prayer. But you know what? As I thought about it, I don't think I'm the right person because my prayer might be a little inappropriate and the tense and the verbiage would come out in a way that would possibly offend. So I thought, who am I going to have come up and pray and close this in prayer? And I thought, I know. I'll have my dad. I'd like to introduce my dad. Come up and close us in prayer. I'm very proud of this man. Let us pray.
Lord, we want you to teach us not to exasperate our children. We don't want to discourage them or embitter them. We want to teach them to honor you as we seek to honor you by honoring one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, we want to honor and love our children who uh, may not be walking with you, that we might be quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slower to anger, that we might be ready to speak the word of truth in love, and your Holy Spirit can teach us the art form for each and every situation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.